I'm sure you guys have all heard the phrase, when push comes to shove, right? It's a phrase that's used when a situation is escalating. It's a phrase that's used when a situation is going from not great to not greater, to worse, right? From bad to worse. It's a situation that's used to uh, imply, okay, maybe I can handle a push, but if you start shoving me, man, things are different then. It's a phrase that's used to, to talk about, man, when push comes to shove, who's still going to be standing with me? We can t- think about it from the, the context of relationships. When push comes to shove, who's going to be really my friend? Who's going to be somebody that I can count on when things get difficult? Not just when things are a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe, it's, maybe they're there for me in, in a certain degree, but man, when, when push comes to shove, who's really going to be there for me? Maybe the modern way that we say it is, who's our ride or die? For Daniel and his three friends that we were introduced to just briefly last week, you've got Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And remember last week, we saw that they were living in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar came and laid siege to Jerusalem. And and remember, it was God that brought Nebuchadnezzar to Jerusalem. It was God that gave the the king, Jehoiakim, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It was God that gave the vessels of the temple to Nebuchadnezzar. It was God that gave Daniel and his three friends into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And so they were living in Jerusalem and Nebuchadnezzar came and took them captive and took them back to Babylon with him. And that's the moment for these four when push came to shove. When they had to decide when it comes to their relationship with God, okay, are we still all in with God? Are we going to stand with him no matter what? Because maybe at at, at that time, they saw Babylon coming from a distance, and and that was kind of the the push side of things. They knew that Nebuchadnezzar was on the scene. They knew that things weren't going well, and, and they could even look at Jerusalem and look at Jehoiakim and go, man, this guy is not a great ruler, and things are not good here, and Man, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, you know, they just defeated Egypt and maybe they're going to come to Jerusalem. That's when, when it's the, the push, so to speak. But when Nebuchadnezzar piles up the siege works and, and overcomes the walls of Jerusalem and enters into the city with his armies and, and all of a sudden they're bound and they're led away to Babylon, now it's the shove. And the question is, will they stand firm in their relationship with God? Are they going to stand with the Lord in the difficult times like they stood with him in the times that were maybe uncomfortable, but for the most part, weren't that bad. You know, for us, in more mild ways than what they faced in our culture, in our country, in our world, for Christians, in in some ways, push is coming to shove. For us, at, at, at most in our lives, we've been nudged. I wouldn't even go so far as to say that we've been pushed for being a Christian. Maybe you've been laughed at. Maybe you've been mocked. Maybe you've been, you know, somebody's written you off. Maybe you've been yelled at for being a Christian, okay? Maybe your mom or dad has gotten angry with you for being a Christian. Maybe your friends have gotten angry with you for being a Christian. Maybe you've, you've lost relationships for being a Christian. But when we look at the, the broad scope of persecution in the church and we look at what that means, and when we look at, at the fact that right now in China, if you hold a, a Bible in your hands in your home, then you're running the risk of being arrested, imprisoned, or even executed, Guys, we've been bumped in our relationship with the Lord. But we don't know what the future holds for our country. We don't know what the next 
couple months holds for our country. We don't know what this week holds for our country. But it may be that that God is leading us into a season where push is going to come to shove. Where the nudge, the bump that we've experienced is now going to be, no, there's, there's a forceful impact on us for being a Christian and identifying with Jesus. And the question is, where will you be when push comes to shove? What are you going to do when push comes to shove? What's going to be your guide when push comes to shove? That's what Daniel's dealing with in our text together tonight. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And we're going to go all the way through the end of chapter 1. But let's start with verse 8. It says this in the text. But Daniel resolved. I love that word there. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So we need to back up to get context, especially if you weren't with us last week. Daniel has been taken captive. They've been brought to Babylon. They've been put into this like Babylon training program. And part of the training program means that they get to enjoy the food from the king's table and and even the the wine that, that the king was drinking as well. But Daniel and his three friends, it says in in verse eight here, resolved, and it says that Daniel particular, but we know the others were involved in this as well, that Daniel would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. That word resolved, it's a, a word in Hebrew that means, man, he fixed it in place in his heart. He said to himself, he set his heart, he determined, he resolved, he said, look, this is not gonna happen. Daniel was saying, look, I'm immovable on my conviction on this. You may have a preference on something, but it's a different thing if you say to somebody, I'm resolved about this matter. You may say, you know what? I'd rather have Dr. Pepper than Coke, but you're not gonna say, I'm resolved that I'm only gonna drink Dr. Pepper and not Coke. We understand that that word is reserved for weightier issues. And Daniel's saying, look, I'm fixed. I'm determined. I'm resolved. It's set in stone internally in me that this is non-negotiable. And he's saying, look, I'm not going to defile myself, is what he says. Defile. I'm not going to make myself unclean or impure. If you look at the Babylon culture in the time, it was a privilege to be fed from the king's table. Everybody else would have been looking at them going, man, that is... That's a position of honor to get the food that comes from the king's table. I mean, this is going to be the best of the best. This is going to be the the best food the kingdom has. And these guys are going to get to eat the same thing. and, and, And you're saying you don't want it? What are you thinking? You're crazy. But he says, no, I'm 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 not going to do that. And here's the problem. The problem was twofold. Number one, the the problem was was not prepared. The the problem was rather that the food was not prepared with any consideration of the Mosaic law. So if you go back to the Mosaic law, you go back to to Leviticus chapter 11, and there are food laws that dealt with what was clean and what was unclean. And that didn't happen. That was was not under consideration. And then the the second thing is, the food was, yeah, super cool when you've got a loud car. The food was also most likely offered to idols before it was served to them. And so Daniel, knowing that, thought to himself, I'm not going to defile myself. It's not worth it for me to compromise and defile myself with the king's food. We see this again. In fact, this is how serious these things were to the Israelites. The book of 1 Maccabees, which is not scripture, okay? It's, it's a, think of it more as kind of a, a history book. 
some historical events recorded in there for us, but it's not scripture, it's not the Bible, but here we're reading ancient history and it says this about the Maccabeans, the Jews during that time, that many in Israel stood firm and were resolved, there's our word, resolved in their hearts not to eat unclean food. And notice this, how far they would take this. They chose to what? Die. They chose to die rather than to be defiled by food or to profane the holy covenant. And they did, in fact, die for this. So this seems pretty intense. Daniel's saying, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna defile myself. And here's the, the deal, guys, and here's what I want us to see with this. The only way that Daniel and his three friends make that decision is if they've got a robust knowledge of God's word. Is if they know what God's will is for their lives. If they know what the Bible says. It doesn't say anywhere in Daniel chapter one and the, these four use knew God's word and knew God's law and had committed it to memory, and that's why they made these decisions. But here's the reality. They're not going to make these decisions unless they know his word, unless they know his law, unless they store it up within them so that when push comes to shove, they're ready to obey. They know what to do, and they know what God's will is for them. Again, why was this such a big deal? Well, two things. Number one, Leviticus chapter 11. They would have known that part of the law in Leviticus says, hey, look, there are clean foods and there are unclean foods. And you can eat the clean foods, but don't eat the unclean foods. This is part of God's command of them. They understood that. They knew that. And so they said, we're not going to eat unclean foods. And then the second thing is, they also knew Exodus 20, which God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not worship any other gods besides me. And they knew that this food, and in particular the wine, would have been offered to false gods and idols before it was served to them. And so thereby partaking in that food or drinking that wine, they would have been participating in that act of worship of that false god. So Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they say, look, hey, we're not going to defile ourselves. And they ask the, the, the king's chief servant, the chief of the eunuchs, the, the most powerful servant the king has, they say, hey, we don't want to defile ourselves. This is not an easy decision for them to make, and it had nothing to do with the fact that this was really good food that they were turning away. This had to do with the fact that they were making this decision in isolation. They were making this decision. They were standing out. They were choosing to be different from the culture around them. They were all of a sudden drawing attention to themselves and bringing a spotlight to themselves that had everything to do with their relationship with God, but they were willing to do it because they wanted to follow him no matter what. And so y'all, as we think about our culture and as we think about the fact that push may come to shove for us as Christians, we have to know God's word in order to know his will. That's what was true of these four and that's what needs to be true of us as well. First point tonight is that, know God's word to know God's will. If you've ever been river rafting before, if you get in the boat on that, that little beachfront there on the river, it's, it's usually in a, a place of calm and tranquil waters. They're not going to throw you right into the rapids right away. So you get in the boat and, and it starts out and it's easy. And the guide's been telling you, hey, things are going to get hard. Things are going to get tough. It's going to get choppy. It's going to get bumpy. We're going to hit rapids. And you need to know what to do when we hit the rapids. But when you first get in the boat, you're in calm water. And you sit there and you think to yourself, maybe, this isn't that bad. Why do I have a helmet on? Why do I have a life preserver on? Why is the guide so intense that I, I know what I'm supposed to do? This is easy. We're row, row, rowing our boat gently down the stream. What's the big deal? But then the river makes the, the turn in the bend and, and all of a sudden you see up ahead that the, there's the rapids. And then the boat eventually gets to the rapids and things get tough at that point. 
and the boat starts to get tossed around and you start to wonder to yourself, okay, am I going to end this trip in the boat or am I going to be out of the boat at the end of this thing? And you see the giant rocks in the river and you see everything in there and, you, and all of a sudden you realize why the guide spent so much time instructing you and teaching you what you should do when you encounter rapids. And now the question is when push comes to shove, do you remember what he said? Are you ready to encounter the rapids? Because the guy doesn't have time all of a sudden to stop down and teach you how to row in rapids when you're already in the rapids. He did that for you back when you were on the beach before you even got into the boat. Well, likewise, Christians, look, if we're gonna know God's will when the heat gets turned up and when push comes to shove, we have to be in the word now. We have to know his word in order to know his will in our lives. There was a time in our country when being a Christian was easy. And by and large, right now, it's still pretty easy. But there was a time when it was even easier because the morals of our country were Christian morals. The laws of our country were Christian laws. And the people of our country were generally God-fearing people. And so for you to identify as a Christian, for you to say, yeah, I'm a Christian was an easy thing to do. For you to kind of coast in neutral as a Christian through life was an easy thing for you to do. But guys, that's changing and it's changing before our eyes. We no longer live in a country where the laws are Christian laws, where the morals are Christian morals, or where most of the population are even God-fearing people. And here's the thing. You can't have your Christianity in neutral and expect that the current of the culture is going to carry you towards Christ. It's not. If your Christianity is in neutral, if you have not been taking your relationship with the Lord seriously, if you have not been diving into God's word on your own, if you have not been investing in your relationship with Jesus, pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus, if you haven't done that, the culture is not going to do that for you. In fact, what the culture is going to do is the culture is going to do everything it can to divert you from that. The culture is going to send you overboard. The culture is going to thrash you in its rapids. And so I want to ask you, as you come across the headlines of the day, as you hear about things in the day, what's your initial response? Maybe some of you go to your parents and you ask them for their opinion on what's going on. Hey, what, what do you make of all the things that are going on right now? What do you make of this event or that event? Maybe some of you look to, to news sites or to social media. You jump on and you've got your favorite site that you go to and you, you read what they say about what's going on in the world. Or maybe some of you have your own talking heads that have their own blogs and things and, and you like to go there or, or their own podcast and you listen to them and, and you trust what they're saying about how to interpret the events of the world and what's going on. But I want to ask you where or when do you turn to God's word and seek what God's word has to say about what's going on in the world today? Where and when in that equation do you ask yourself this question, God, okay, how do you want me to respond to what's going on today? Because listen, right now, if you give yourself over to what the world is telling you to do and how the world is telling you to respond, you're going to be totally lost. You're going to be paralyzed with fear. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be in turmoil. Life is going to be chaotic for you. But what does God say in scripture? That he is a God of order, not a God of chaos. Like we talked about last week, everything that's going on is part of God's sovereign plan. So are you turning to the one that's orchestrating everything? 
Are you seeking his will in his word? Are you studying his words so that when push comes to shove, like Daniel and his three friends, they knew that eating the king's food wasn't even an option for them. Why? Because they knew what God's word said. In a way, it was easy for them to make this decision, though it was a difficult decision to make based on what could happen to them. But in a way, it was easy for them because they knew they had one concern, and that is, God, what's your will in my life? And students, if we will get there, to saying, that's my guide, that's my focus. I wanna know what your will is in my life. God, teach me, show me, reveal it to me. I wanna be in your word so that I know how to think about the things that are happening. If that will be our mindset, guys, you will be able to weather the rapids and you will be able to remain calm in the midst of the storm when push comes to shove. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter four about the church. He says, look, God gave the apostles and the prophets. Okay, there's the foundation of scripture, right? The prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New Testament. He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. That's our aim. We want to get to that place where we have the, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a, a massive thing, being like Jesus in every way, right? That's our aim. That's our goal. That's what we want. And Paul's saying, look, God gave God's word. He gave us the Bible to lead us there. He gave us people to teach us the Bible, to help us in that process. But then notice what he says in verse 14. He says, so that, so that we may no longer be children tossed, to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Guys, some of you need to put social media down because you are in a torrent of a storm of doctrines that are tossing you to and fro. And you don't know which way is up anymore. You're so lost in theories and conspiracies and, and arguments and naysayers and doomsday preppers and all of this stuff and you can't see up anymore and God is sitting there going, you wanna know how to respond? It's here, it's right here. God's will for your life and my life, students, is no different today than it was under Trump's administration or under Clinton's administration or Obama's. You guys weren't alive for all those. It's, it's no different for us today, let me put it this way, than it was for Daniel and his three friends in Babylon. You know what God wants from you and from me? To follow him and to care more about what he wants than what anybody else in this world wants. And you know what your circumstances mean for that? Nothing. Nothing. Your circumstances don't change one ounce of what God wants from you. Your circumstances don't change one ounce of what the Bible says. Some of you have great lives right now. Some of you have horrible lives right now. For both of you, God wants the same thing. Faithful obedience to him. Regardless of what's going on in your life. And if you're wondering, well, what does that look like for me? Go to the word. Go to the word. Go to the word. Go to the word, invest in the word. Know his word to know his will. But knowing without acting really isn't knowing at all, is it? Knowing without acting just puffs us up, but we want it to, to translate into wisdom. And that's what it does here. Look at how it continues in the text. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, 
he took action. He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Let's think about the the context here for a second, if we can. Daniel and his three friends are, are prisoners of war right now. Okay, they've been taken captive by the Babylonians. They've been co-opted into this Babylonian training program, which was basically intended to, to brainwash them into buying into the Babylonian culture and learning everything about Babylon and forgetting everything about Israel. Uh, third, they're reporting to one of the most powerful servants in the entire king's network there. The chief of the eunuchs would have been the king's most trusted servant at this time. And that's the guy that is, is giving them these commands and these orders. Third, all of their, their peers that they were also taken with from Israel, guess what they're doing? They're eating the king's food and they're drinking the king's wine. And they're looking at these four probably thinking to themselves, what are you guys doing? Why are you making life so difficult for yourselves? Just jump on board with what they're doing here. What, what's the big deal? Israel's gone. Look, the, the, the temple's eventually, not at this point, but eventually gonna be destroyed. Jerusalem's no more. We're done, Daniel. Just give in to Babylon. Babylon's our new home now. And then finally, they were facing the reality that to push back on the orders from the king, from King Nebuchadnezzar, because he's the one that told him, hey, give him food from my table and wine from my table. To push back on that would have been for them to, to risk their lives. And yet what happens? They don't flinch. They don't flinch. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. We're going to see this pattern from Daniel and these three over and over and over and over again in our study that they are so ingrained, that they are so entrenched in what they know to be true. Look at verse 10. Even when the the chief of the eunuch says, look, hey, Daniel, I fear Nebuchadnezzar. I fear my Lord, the king, because you're asking me to give you vegetables and water for 10 days. If he sees that you're in worse shape than the others, he's going to look at me and say, what did you do with those four? Why are they so bad off? And and this this chief of the eunuchs is going to be endangering his own life with this. But Daniel says in verse 12, Test your servants for 10 days. Test us for 10 days. What are 10 days going to matter to you? Test us for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. And so Daniel uses his wisdom and says, okay, look, let's strike a compromise here because we're not eating the food. So here's what we can do. Why don't you just test us for 10 days? Give us 10 days and set us up with just vegetables and water. So here we're seeing more evidence of Daniel's knowledge of God's word. And here's how, because Daniel knew all the amazing supernatural things that God had done in the past and said, okay, God can do that again for me now. Because I don't know if if you guys have tried eating only vegetables and drinking water for 10 days straight, but it's not a way to add weight to your life. It's not a way to, to put on 
you know, mass and bulk up by just going with vegetables and water. This, by the way, this is not a diet plan. If you read any books that say that this is some crazy cockamamie Bible diet plan, throw it in the trash, light it on fire, throw it in the trash, and then have your dog urinate on it, okay? Please. This is not about a diet. This is about what God is doing here. He's doing something that the GT won, a God thing won, a supernatural miracle. Because Daniel and his three friends, they're saying, hey, look, Put us to the test. Give us vegetables and water while everybody else fattens themselves on the, the choice meats from the king's table. And by the way, to be a little bit rotund for these guys was, was the goal, okay? They weren't trying to be like chiseled. They wanted to be kind of a little, you know, porky. That was a good thing in this culture. And Daniel's saying, hey, look, just give us vegetables and water and then compare our appearance to the guys that are eating the prime rib and the filet mignon and all that stuff and, and drinking themselves to oblivion. Let's, let's, let's measure up and see how we're doing at the end of 10 days. See, Daniel was, was stepping out on faith, making a request that would have seemed insane to everybody else, but he was doing it because of his knowledge of God's word, which told him about who God was. And he knew that God had done amazing things in the past and that he was going to be able to do amazing things again. And so what did that enable Daniel to do? His knowledge of the word enabled him to live with bold conviction. And that's how we need to live as well. Second point tonight is this, know God's word to live life boldly. Know God's word to live life boldly. Guys, if you are afraid right now, God does not want you to be afraid. He, it's, it's never God's will that you would be afraid of the, the circumstances that you are in. If you want a boldness, if you want a peace, if you want a confidence about your life, then let me just encourage you, get in God's word and read about the God that you claim, the God that you serve. He's bigger than everything. Whatever trial it is that you're going through, God is bigger. And if you say, you don't know what I'm going through, I'm going to say, you don't know God. And a huge key to understanding this, and we're going to see this in Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, and Mishael. We're going to see this in them later on. What led to them saying, hey, look, there's no wavering, no compromise. I'm not going to flirt with, with doubting God's word. Here's what it is. They understood that, that what mattered is more than this earth and this life that you live. And we're going to see that hugely in just a couple chapters. But even here in this opening chapter that so often we just go through and we're like, oh yeah, they ate veg vegetables and water and somebody wrote a book about it. And yeah, all right, cool. No, but, but what, they're, they're risking their life here. Because if the, at the end of 10 days, they're found shriveled and, and, and withered, they're going to die. But they're saying, no, it's, it's more worth it for us to obey God. Why? Because they had a bigger picture that went beyond this world. And here's the deal, guys. Your life is not about your comfort here. It's not. Your life is not about your comfort here. It's not about your happiness here. It's not about your satisfaction here. It's not about your relief here. It's not about your dreams and your ambitions being fulfilled here. Your life here is about you serving God. Your life to come, you are going to be more satisfied, more comfortable. You are going to be more joyful, more happy, more fulfilled. You're going to be more content than anything this world could ever provide you. And that will last you for eternity. 
That's the mindset that we need to be able to embrace for us to be able to start living boldly here. And that mindset comes from understanding who God is and what he's done in the pages of his word. It's looking back and going, wow, God, you led your people out of Egypt. Wow, God, you parted the Red Sea. Wow, God, you walked on water, Jesus. You calmed the storm, Jesus. You raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus. You died on the cross for my sins, Jesus. You walked out of the grave, Jesus. You forgave my sins, God. You are so much bigger than anything this world can throw at me. So let's look at the world and look at the culture and look at society and not panic and not fear, but let's say this. Let's say, bring it. Students, we can never allow circumstances in this world to lead us to compromise in our bold convictions to obey God. It would have been easy for Daniel and his friends to compromise here and go, oh man, well, dude, if if we do this, if we don't eat the food from the king's table and drink his wine, then it's not just us. We're actually risking the life of the king's servant. So you know what? We should just do it. God will understand if we compromise. It's for the greater good. We got to compromise for the greater good so that we can, man, if we do this for 10 days and then we're not healthy at the end of 10 days, they're going to kill us. And certainly God wants us alive more than he wants us dead. So let's just, comp- let's just eat the food. What's the big deal? We'll just eat the food. Or maybe it goes like this for you. Man, if, if I don't drink, man, my friends aren't going to want to be around me. Oh man, and, and my friends need Jesus. So I should really go to that party. And I'm going to drink for Jesus. Or maybe it goes like this, oh man, if I don't do this with my girlfriend, she's going to think I don't love her. Well, and since we're going to get married anyways, what does it really matter if we cross that line that we said we weren't going to cross? We're going to get married. Surely we're going to get married. So it's no big deal if if we just compromise right now. God's going to understand. Or maybe it goes like this. Okay, but but God, you don't understand. If I break up with my non-Christian boyfriend, who I shouldn't be dating anyways because your word tells me not to, but I went in ahead and got into that relationship anyways because I, I just did, because I thought, well, I'm, a, I'm an exception to the rule. So if I break up with this person that doesn't know you in order to follow you and be obedient to you, well, then what if they never become a Christian? God, clearly it's your will for me to be in this relationship that you don't approve of because you want me to save this person because I save people, not you, God. Do you see how compromise invades our thinking so easily? You know what God's not interested in? Rationalization. You know what he is interested in? Faithfulness. Even when it's difficult. Guys, obeying God requires the boldness of conviction. Obeying the world requires very little conviction. Obeying the world will bring peace and comfort and calm. Obeying God will bring often difficulty and trial into your life. One is worth it. And one is not. Guys, I don't want you to think so short-sighted in your life that you would sacrifice eternal reward on the altar of immediate comfort by giving in to rationalized compromise. And so often that's what we do, Christians. 
we compromise with the world and we're sacrificing eternal reward because we want to be comfortable today. And we rationalize our guilt away and think it's no big deal. Knowing God's word instills in us principles and, and commands deep in our lives so that we're going to be ready to obey when that temptation comes up for us to compromise. Just like these three, these four were ready to obey when the temptation came up for them to compromise. And God responded to their boldness. God responded to their conviction. And look, look at what he does. Look at verse nine. We already read this, but this is part of it. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Or verse 14, so the, the chief of the eunuchs, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Why did he listen to them? This, this transcends logic because this guy was risking his own life by listening to them. What led him to listen to them? God did because he was responding to the obedience of these Israelite youths. Look at verses 15 through 16. It says this, at the end of 10 days, so here's the, the backside of the test. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance. Who was better in appearance? Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Fatter from eating vegetables. What vegetable makes you fat? Answer, none. Otherwise, it's not a vegetable. Fat tastes good. Right? By the way, if you're tempted to embrace this diet, let me say that one of my favorite verses is Leviticus, 11, or Leviticus 3.16, which says, all fat is the Lord's. So just take that one, run it out of context, and go live your life, okay? But nothing from a, the vegetable family is going to make you fat, right? People don't go on vegetable diets because they're looking to add some poundage to their life. But it says, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them just vegetables. This guy's like, a, all right, fine. If that's working, then go for it. Again, guys, this is only explainable by God that these four would have put on weight and improved in appearance by only drinking water and eating vegetables for 10 days. You don't see a heavyweight boxer preparing for a fight going, man, I need to add a few pounds. Let's, let's go with the celery, bring that in. By the way, did you know that celery burns more calories eating it than it gives your body? It's crazy. But we think about stuff like that and you, and you look at the fact that they were found in better appearance and fatter in flesh and you say, okay, God is responding to their obedience. Look at verse 17. It continues, God's response says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in and the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. That 10 times better is just, it's a, it's a metaphorical way of saying they lapped them in how much they knew and how wise they were and how intelligent they were. And the reason is because of God 
And the reason God did that is because of their bold convictions. And the reason they had bold convictions is because they knew God's will, because they knew his word. These four men being men of the word led to this situation where God was using them. God was responding to them. They resolved to follow the Lord and resolved to follow him in obedience, whatever their circumstances, and the Lord honored their obedience. Our final point tonight is this, know the word to experience God's favor. Know the word to experience God's favor. We don't obey God in order to be blessed, but we also don't obey without knowing that God often does bless our obedience. Okay, there's, there's a difference there. Our motive to obey God is not so that he will do something for me. This is not an exchange of goods. Okay, God, I'll give you my obedience if you give me your favor. That's not why we obey. No, but in obeying, we also need to be mindful of the fact that God often does reward our obedience. He shows us favor. But before we get all name it and claim it, I think it's helpful to remember, again, the context of these four. Because even with God's favor on their life, even with being found 10 times better, even with God responding by their, their fatter in appearance and, and, and doing well on the, the, the vegetables and water, even with all that, let's, let's think about their context. They're still in a foreign land. They're still away from home and family. They're still away from the temple. So in other words, they've been cut off from what they know about worshiping God. They, they're not able to go to the temple. There is no temple for them to go to. They're still away from their nation. They're still in Babylon and, and they're wondering, okay, what, what's the future for Israel? They're still un, in the, the court of a ruthless ruler. And while, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar may have been impressed with them in that moment, there's nothing to say that he wouldn't wake up tomorrow morning with an itch on the left side of his nose and decide that that was their fault and kill them. And they're still captives. It's not as though they can go, okay, this was great. This was fun. Thanks for the experience. We're going to leave now. So God's favor still meant that they were still in trying circumstances, in trying times. God's favor, guys, doesn't always look like God doing exactly what we want and what we would like him to do for us. God's favor for these four looked like letting them live and then equipping them to be useful to him for his plan and his glory in the rest of the book. See, God's favor in your life doesn't necessarily mean no suffering or relief from pain and sorrow. Think about Paul, right? Paul was a man who certainly experienced God's hand of blessing in his life. God used Paul to write the majority of the New Testament. And yet, what did Paul say? He's got a thorn in his flesh. He's got this pain that won't go away. And we're not sure exactly what that was. But what we do know is that Paul said, I time and time and time again, have gone to the Lord and pleaded with him, begged him, please remove this thorn from my flesh. And God's response was, Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so in other words, what God was telling Paul is, Paul, I'm gonna keep you weak because in your weakness, I'm glorified. And yet, did Paul not know the favor of God? Of course he did. He knew God's favor. God's favor in your life doesn't necessarily mean comfort and security in your life either. Again, let's talk about Paul. 
Read, read through 2 Corinthians chapter 11, which is Paul's resume of suffering. When he says, look, I've been beaten with rods. I've received the 39 lashes multiple times. He said, look, I've, I've been stoned and left for dead. I've been uh, shipwrecked. And I went all Leonardo DiCaprio if, if Rose had moved over on that door. I floated for a night and a day in the deep. He said, I've been in shipwrecks. I've been in danger on journeys from robbers, from the weather. You look at Paul's life and you say, well, that doesn't look like a life that is marked by God's favor to me. But it was. There's no doubt about it that God's life was marked with his favor. And if your mindset is, well, yeah, but I deserve better than Paul, let me ask you why. Johnny Erickson Tata, if you guys know her story, paralyzed, diving into a, a pool. She's been a paralytic for the majority of her life. Unable to walk. Unable to enjoy the things that you're able to enjoy. And you think for a moment that you deserve better than her. Why? Or you doubt God's goodness in your life because you don't have what somebody else has? Show me biblically where that's what God desires of us. Please. God's favor in our life doesn't mean that your desires, your dreams, your goals are going to be met. Whatever you want to do with the rest of your life, there's no guarantee that that's what you'll do with the rest of your life. But here's what God's favor means for you, what it meant for them. It means this, he knows where you are. He knows who you are and he knows what you are there for. He knows where you are, who you are and what you are there for and he has his hand on your life and he's using your life for his glory. That's the favor of God, guys. And this is the favor that we should desire from God. It's not that God finds our, our wants and our desires too great, to paraphrase C.S. Lewis. But he finds them so trivial. There's a guy by the name of Count Zinzendorf, which is an awesome name. Almost as good as Maximus the Confessor, but not quite. Anyways, this guy said this, and he shouldn't have said it because it, it failed in some regards. But he said this, you want to know my aim, my goal in life? This is what I want to do. I want to preach Christ, die, and be forgotten. That's it. That should be every one of our goals in life. I want to preach Christ, die, and be forgotten. And if that's our aim, then we will know the favor of God, students. These four taken from their homes, everything they knew, put in a foreign land, faced with a difficult decision right out of the bat. Okay, are you going to eat this food and drink this wine? It looks pretty innocent. 
But when you really think about it, if you know God's word, all of a sudden, you know, wait a minute, I'm going to be compromising. I'm going to be disobeying God if I partake in this. They're, they're in that situation right away. And here's push comes to shove. And the question for them is, what are you going to do? And because they knew the word of God and it ran deeply through their lives, for them, there was only one option. And that was, we are going to obey the Lord no matter what. We're going to know his will because we know his word. And we are going to live boldly because we know his word. And we are going to, in response to that, experience the favor of God in our lives in that he is going to use us for his glory. And that's the favor that all of us should want, guys. That's where our affection should be, our desire should be, our hope should be. But students, let me encourage you to be in the word because I don't know when in our country, in our context, push will come to shove. But if you're not in his word now and you're waiting for it to get to the place where you're getting shoved, you're not going to have a leg to stand on. So get in his word now so that you're ready then. Let's pray. God, we are, are thankful that right now in your sovereign plan that we are able to enjoy so many freedoms in Christ that we can be here and gather here and using speakers and, and I can stand up here and talk about Jesus and talk about God and talk about the Bible and preach the Bible without fear of repercussions. Lord, we don't know if that's going to be guaranteed for how long. But God, we're not afraid of that. Because no matter what happens, even if you come and you get us and you put us in jail, God, my, my expectations, your expectations of me, if, if I'm in jail, are the same as it is when I'm standing up here tonight. And that is, I need to glorify you with how I live my life. And I need to preach the gospel in every opportunity that I have. The Great Commission is not given to those that are comfortable. And it's given to every Christian. And Lord, we're not guaranteed rights or privileges or constitutions or presidents or administrations or any of that. We're not guaranteed any of that, God. And so often we conflate our patriotism with our Christianity. Lord, we want to be yours and have nothing else have a hold on our lives at all. Lord, help us to immerse ourselves in your word daily, to know your word daily so that if we are put in a situation where push does come to shove, we know exactly what we're going to do. There's no question about it because we're bleeding Bible. And Lord, if, if that does happen, I pray that you would give us the, the same kind of resolve that we see in Daniel in these three, that we would say, come what may, we're all in for you, Christ. We love Jesus more than this world. We love Jesus more than our comforts. We love Jesus more than our rights. We love Jesus more than anything else. God, may that be our mindset. And may we live for this day, longing for that day that's gonna come where you call us to be with you. For all of eternity, we're gonna be with you and we're gonna be free from this, this world, this brokenness, this fallen, this cursed world. We're gonna be free from shattered dreams and ambitions. We're gonna be free from pain and sorrow. We're gonna be free from sickness. We're gonna be free from, from all of those things, God. That day will come in the meantime. Lord, let us not look for that day here today. Let us not confuse what is ours in eternity with what is ours now temporarily. 
Let us remember what Peter said, that we are aliens and strangers in this world. Let us remember what Peter said, that we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter a trial. And Father, most of all, let us be found faithful to you as we entrench ourselves in your word to love you most in this life, even, even above and beyond our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.